0: While you're uh, finding Genesis 41, just sort of a a thought and and uh, just maybe to ask you, if, if you would, to already be in prayer and maybe encourage someone to come with you Sunday. Um, even before last night, but I'll say it this way, last night uh, as the elders were meeting, um, one of the things obviously we spend a lot of time in, in prayer at our elder meetings, but obviously we also get together and and just share our hearts. And and one of the things we talked about last night was just how, especially for a Christian, how disturbing the events around the world are. Uh, just to see the world crumbling, if you will, around us. And How do we as Christians, um, how do we navigate that? How do we deal with that? I think Sunday's message out of the book of Hebrews will provide some, some encouragement to all of us. Even in the midst of such darkness and brokenness that we see all around us at all times. I mean, even here Locally with all the, the violence and things that we hear about, even just here in Phoenix. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a broken, hurting world. And, and how do we keep our heads on straight and keep our heads above water in, in such challenging times? I think Sunday's message will address that. So, just want to encourage you to already be in prayer about Sunday and, and just to get the word out. Uh, maybe invite somebody to come with you Sunday. I'm, I'm hoping that our attendance is up a little bit after the holiday weekend and that, that we can just really see God, God work here uh, and move on, on Sunday. Tonight we're again continuing our series looking at the life of Joseph. And uh, Joseph is getting ready to be elevated to a very privileged position in the, in the uh, kingdom of Egypt. And yet, when we think about Joseph triumphing, if you will, the triumph of Joseph, from my perspective, is not in the fact of his promotion that he finally gets after all this time. For me, the triumph of Joseph is seen in the way he has navigated the waiting time. That's How Joseph has triumphed. And that's what I believe God wants to teach us and remind us about, is that all of us at times in our life are going to be in a waiting time, where we're waiting on God. It's amazing, too, how these messages sort of dovetail and connect with each other, because Sunday we're going to talk about this again as well. But how important it is that we as Christians... View that waiting time. Because all of us at times are going to be called on, like Joseph, to wait on the Lord. And here's what I want to start with tonight. Waiting time is never wasted time. Let me repeat that. Waiting time is never to be wasted time. As we have seen throughout our study of, of Joseph. God was using this time to grow Joseph, to stretch Joseph, to strengthen Joseph, to equip Joseph, to prepare Joseph when that promotion would come. And God was always at work, even though maybe Joseph did not actually see God at work behind the scenes, putting all of this together. God was always putting all the pieces of this story together. And so Joseph just needed to trust God, that God would bring about the fulfillment of his promise to him in God's perfect timing. And that's what God asks of us, too. He wants us to see that the times he calls upon us to wait is not wasted. It is time where God is building our character and doing all kinds of things in our lives and also working on all the other pieces of the puzzle, if you will, to bring it all together. So I hope tonight, especially for those of you right now that are in some kind of waiting time in your life, where you're waiting on God to move, to work, to change something, that you will be encouraged tonight. That God, first of all, is already at work, even though you might not be able to see it or sense it, God is always working. And secondly, that God wants to use this waiting time in our lives as not wasted time, but as a very worthwhile time where He not only works in us, works through us, but works in other people's lives as well. So that's why we have here, again, at the beginning of chapter 41, at the end of two full years, Pharaoh now had a dream. And this was obviously after, you know, Joseph had been sold as a slave. This was after he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. This was after he was forgotten by the uh, butler. Now, finally, two years later... God reveals himself to Pharaoh. And God gives Pharaoh, the leader of the world at this time, a dream. And in Pharaoh's dream, there are these seven healthy cows that appear followed by seven unhealthy cows. And the seven unhealthy cows swallow up eventually the seven healthy cows. Then the Bible says he wakes up. He then goes back to sleep and then has another dream. That God gives to him. And that is that there are seven sort of healthy stalks of grain, and then appear after that seven unhealthy stalks of grain, and the unhealthy stalks of grain swallow up the healthy stalks of grain. So you'll notice then in verse 8, after this night of dreams, the Bible says, In the morning, Pharaoh was troubled. The word means to be disturbed or agitated, but also very interestingly, it's a word that means to beat regularly. And to me, what it's saying is that this wasn't the first time Pharaoh had this dream, that this was God trying to get the leader of the world's attention. And he was beating regularly on Pharaoh. When God wants to get our attention, he can do so at any time. And many times it's like a, just a drumbeat. It's that thing that's just always playing in the background and it doesn't go away. And God's trying to get our attention about something. Here God was doing it even with a man that had no relationship with him. In fact, here was a man that didn't even believe in him. This was a man who worshipped other gods, the gods, the false gods of Egypt. And yet God was going to reveal himself to him because God's plan and purpose for Joseph and for his covenant people also included this man, Pharaoh. And so God was going to reveal himself to Pharaoh. Now Pharaoh obviously did not know what this dream meant. In in himself, even though the Egyptians and even the Pharaoh considered himself a god, notice he had no clue what the dream meant. So the Bible says in verse 8, he called for the diviner priests of Egypt and all its wise men. He needed help to try to figure out what The dream meant because it so troubled him. He wanted to know. He wanted an answer. He wanted this solved. And so he calls all of the wise men of Egypt. Well, they couldn't help him either. But I think a point of application I would like to make is this hopefully, we will be people of the word. And people who walk with God so that when they're looking for answers in their life, they can call upon us. And hopefully we won't hesitate at times to call upon others to get, you know, godly counsel and advice and wisdom and maybe even understanding into things that God has revealed in His Word. Who do we call on when we want maybe something clarified or or uh, something explained to us? And do others call upon us because, again, they see in us a competency and a skill with the Word of God? In fact, very interestingly, the term diviner priest literally in the Hebrew means he who holds the book. Because in Egypt, they would have this book that many times would unlock things and help them to understand things, at least in in their culture. That's what they used. For us, who are followers of Jesus Christ and who personally know God and who have had God's word revealed to us, we also hold the book. And if we are men and women and people of the book, then we can also help other people when they call upon us. But as the Bible says, no one could interpret these dreams for him. Then in verse 9, this baker who had forgotten about Joseph takes responsibility and says, or the chief cupbearer, excuse me, says, Today I recall my failure. Literally, I'm taking responsibility for my sin, my offense. He even uses a word that could mean crime." In his mind, he committed a crime by promising that he would remember Joseph and then forgetting him for two full full years. But now that God has gotten Pharaoh's attention through this dream, and no one in Egypt can interpret the dream, now all of a sudden, the cupbearer is reminded, oh, there there was this guy that I was in prison with. And I'm sorry, I, I forgot about him. But I'll give him this, at least when... He recalls. He takes responsibility here and basically says, I blew it. And then he recounts to Pharaoh about why this all took place and how he knew this guy. He said, Hey, a couple years ago, you, my master, threw me in jail because I upset you. And while I was there, I met this slave, this Hebrew slave named Joseph. And he was able to interpret my dreams, and he was also able to accurately interpret the baker's dreams who was with me. So I think, Pharaoh, that you might want to call upon this young man and see if he can help you out. Now, interestingly, in verse 12, as he's recounting this, I wanted to mention this as well. As he's saying this to Pharaoh, he says, Now a young man, a Hebrew, a servant of the captain of the guards was with us there and and in the word servant i want us to be reminded that again it doesn't matter on earth what our position is before men God can work in and through us anytime He wants and chooses to. We don't have to have a certain position. We don't have to have a a certain place in society for God to use us. In fact, Paul even says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1 that many times God doesn't choose the greats of society to work through. Many times God chooses the weak of this world so that He can confound the wise. And so that's why Paul went on to tell the Corinthians, that's why not many of us are of noble birth, or noble positions, or are power brokers in the world. Because God wants to use even servants and those that the world looks down upon to work through so that He gets the glory and not man. And we see this even with characters throughout the Bible. It didn't matter that Joseph was a servant. God was greatly using him. And so I hope this will encourage you. You and I don't need to have a certain position to be used greatly by God. All we need to do is just be sold out to God and surrendered to God. And if we're following the Lord, the Lord will make sure that He is using us and working in us and working through us just like He did Joseph. And so he goes on to recount again to Pharaoh what happened in the prison. And so in verse 13 it says, It happened just as he had said to us, Pharaoh restored me to my office, but he impaled the baker. And then Pharaoh summoned Joseph. They brought him quickly out of the dungeon. He shaved himself, changed his clothes, and came before Pharaoh. And think about this. How quickly now... Did Joseph's fortune change? And it reminds us again that, you know, many times we're like waiting on God, waiting on God. It seems like nothing is happening. But when God wants to move, oh my goodness, things can change drastically and dramatically in a split second. And here's Joseph. That day I'm sure he got up and thought it was just going to be like any other day. He was going to spend another day in prison and who know and now by the end of the day, he's not only getting out of prison, he's going to have an audience before the most powerful man on earth at that time. He's going to have an audience with Pharaoh, the leader of the most powerful kingdom on earth. That quickly things changed. All because Joseph used that waiting time, not as wasted time, but continued to allow God to work in him and through him. And let's remember something. The Bible tells us at the beginning of of all this, that it was when Joseph was 17 years of age, when God first revealed these things to Joseph. And now the Bible tells us that he was 30 years of age when he comes before Pharaoh. Thirteen years, Joseph waited on God to fulfill his promise. Thirteen years. And in all that thirteen years, Joseph was learning to just continue to trust God in all the ups and downs of life. Yes, it took a long time, but as we're going to even see on Sunday. That is a requirement of followers of God. God doesn't give us a promise one day and then fulfill it in our lives the next day. If you and I, according to the scriptures, whether it's Joseph or whether it's the book of Hebrews, as we talked about Sunday, if we want to inherit the promises, the way we do that is through faithfulness and perseverance. And so we see that here in Joseph's life. Can you imagine, after all those years, probably what was going through Joseph's mind, and even in Joseph's heart, when he was summoned before Pharaoh, when the warden came to him and said, hey, Pharaoh wants to have an audience with you. I'm sure it's like, wow, here here it goes. And so again, I hope that will encourage you. Yes, waiting can be hard. Waiting can stretch us and all of that. But when God moves, God will really move and can move in dramatic ways. So he's called before Pharaoh and Pharaoh says to Joseph in verse 15, I had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it, but I've heard about you that you can interpret dreams. And I couldn't help but think, as Joseph stood before Pharaoh about this verse from the book of Proverbs that applies, I think, in this case to Joseph, and I, I think it applies to us as well. Here's what the book of Proverbs says. A person's gift makes room for him and leads him before important people. That's Proverbs chapter 18, verse 16. A person's gift makes room for him and leads him before important people. God had given Joseph a gift, and God gives all of us gifts, talents, and abilities. And when we walk with God, God will use those gifts, talents, and abilities to make room for us in this world. To carve out our own niche and our own place in this world and our own place in God's program. And God eventually, if we continue to follow Him and be faithful, He will lead us to a prominent place even before leaders and other important people, so that we can be a witness of him to others, just like Joseph was before the most powerful man on earth. That's what God wants to do. And it was through Joseph being able to interpret dreams that Joseph was now literally standing before Pharaoh. I love this, though. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, It is not within my power but God will speak concerning the welfare of Pharaoh. Notice, Joseph carefully gave God the glory. He claims nothing for himself. He's basically telling Pharaoh, apart from God or without God, I got nothing. That's my you know, paraphrase. And I love that. Because again, in all that time that God was preparing Joseph, One of the things he was building into Joseph was humility, so that when he would get all of this power, and he would have that that prestigious position, it wouldn't go to his head. He wouldn't take credit for it himself, but he would give the credit and the glory and the honor to God, and that's exactly what he did when he had the chance. So, from verses 17 then through verse 24 of chapter 41, it's basically Pharaoh recounting his dream to Joseph so that Joseph knew what the dream was all about. And then Joseph in verse 25 says to Pharaoh after hearing about the dream, Both dreams of Pharaoh have the same meaning. They are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. And this is the first of two times here as he's speaking to Pharaoh that he uses that phrase. Notice down in verse 28. This is just what I told Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Why is that significant? Because here's this young man, 30 years of age now, standing before the most powerful man on earth. And yet Joseph is declaring that his God is sovereign over Pharaoh. Now think about that. In this day and age, the Egyptians looked at Pharaoh as God. And Pharaohs considered themselves gods on earth. And yet Joseph is standing before him basically saying, uh, there's a God bigger than you and higher than you. And you don't know him, but but he's, he's in control here. He's the one that's revealing these things to you. You might think you're a god, but there really is a God. And He's bigger than you are, Pharaoh. And the only way that you even know about what's coming is because in His mercy, in His grace, and all of that, He has chosen to reveal it to you so that many people could be saved through what is coming. And basically, Joseph says, here's what the dreams mean. There's going to be seven years of, of good In seven years of plenty, but it's going to be followed by a very, very strong and severe famine. And it's going to make everybody, it's so bad, it's going to make everybody forget about the seven good years. And God wants you to know then what's coming so that you and your kingdom can prepare for it. He says in verse 32 to Pharaoh, this dream was repeated or duplicated to Pharaoh because the matter has been decreed by God and God will make it happen soon. Very important. The word decreed means fixed or securely determined by God. In other words, the Bible teaches us if God has said this is what's going to happen, then it happens. And there's not anything that you and I as human beings can do to stop it from happening. In fact, when it says God will make it happen soon, it means God will accomplish what he has said will happen. We're going to again talk about that Sunday. If God in his word has revealed this is where the world is headed, this is what's going to happen then there's not a thing that you and I can do to stop it. That should not be discouraging to us. That should actually be encouraging to to us because we actually are seeing the very prophetic word of God and the decree of God unfold before our eyes. And rather than being discouraged, we should say, you know what? God's word is coming true just now as God said. In fact, I was sharing tonight that I think one of the hang-ups that a lot of Christians have of even trying to interpret prophecy in books like Daniel and Revelation is throughout history, they've always tried to take the world as they know it and basically try to piece what Daniel and Revelation and other prophetic books are saying in with the world as they know it. I think you and I are seeing right now that that part of then what makes that confusing is, guess what? This world isn't going to look anything like it does now by the time Jesus comes. The whole geopolitical world is going to change very rapidly. And the countries and, and the setups and, and the... Uh, the relationships between countries and and even countries themselves that might exist now, that won't exist in the future, all that is going to change very rapidly as we move through the end times. So let's be careful not to try to always sort of pigeonhole prophetic books into the way the landscape of the world looks now because, friends, as you know, As we look around the world today, it's changing and it's changing very quickly. And the world as we know it, even as as we knew it, is no longer going to be that world that we used to live in. And there's even bigger changes coming. What we can take comfort in, is that whatever God has decreed is going to happen, He's going to make sure it happens. He's going to fulfill His word. So now Pharaoh, verse 13, or 33, here's what you should do. You should look for a wise and discerning man, a good administrator who has great insight, is basically what that, those words mean and give him authority over all the land of Egypt. In other words, a great leadership principle here that Joseph is, in a sense, pointing out to Pharaoh. He's saying, here's what good leaders do. They find the right people for that position, and then they don't micromanage them. They let them do what they are called to do. They don't look over their shoulder all the time. They don't bind their hands so that they can't get anything done. They find the right people for the right positions and they give them authority to run after it and to do what needs to be done. It's a great leadership principle. And one that he was encouraging Pharaoh to do. And so Pharaoh, notice verse 34, Joseph says, you should do this. Literally, you should accomplish this. Because God's going to accomplish what he said. There's going to be seven good years coming, but there's going to be seven really bad years after it. Don't don't make any mistake about it there. It's going to happen. So if you don't take this seriously, you and everyone else is going to be in big trouble. You need to now accomplish this because God's going to accomplish what he said. And then he goes on. He doesn't just tell Pharaoh what the dream means, but basically he's giving the world leader some advice here. He says, oh, by the way, here's the plan. He should appoint officials throughout the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should gather all the excess food during these good years that are coming, and by Pharaoh's authority, they should store up the grain so that the citizens will have food, and they should preserve it. The food should be held, kept, retained in storage. Literally deposited in reserve for the land in preparation for the seven years of famine that will occur throughout the land of Egypt. In this way, the land will survive the famine. Notice that through the wisdom that God gave this young man, he not only was able to interpret dreams, he was able to have plans when things came up. He he knew how to handle problems and things because, not because necessarily Joseph had the IQ of 190. I mean, I don't know what Joseph's IQ was, but the Bible teaches it's not about human intelligence. It's about walking with God because God will give his people who walk with him an insight, a wisdom, a discernment, a perception that people who choose not to walk with God don't have. And that's exactly what God was doing here with Joseph. Joseph was impressive because Joseph walked with God. And throughout his years of walking with God and trusting God and and listening to God, he had a wisdom, a a skill of being able to manage things that very, very few, if anyone else, had. And because of that, notice what the Bible says in verse 37. This advice was well-pleasing or made sense to Pharaoh and all his officials. Pharaoh recognized now in verse 38, Joseph had some kind of supernatural ability. I don't believe that Pharaoh, like I said, had any clue as to who the God of Joseph was. He didn't believe in the Trinity. Again, he was a believer in the false gods of Egypt. But he recognized that there was something different about Joseph. There was something supernatural in the ability and the capacity that Joseph had. And he says this to his officials. He says, can we find a man like Joseph, one in whom the Spirit of God is present? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, because God has enabled you. Notice, Pharaoh's acknowledging that somehow God is helping Joseph. And this is no different that if you read the book of Daniel, it happened to Daniel in Babylon. And Daniel chapter 5, verse 14, Daniel's interpreting the dream to Belshazzar. And Belshazzar says, Daniel, you have a spirit in you. You, you, have, a, you have a discernment, a perception, an insight that I've never seen in anyone before. And this, this is why God calls us to, to follow Him, to be faithful to Him, to to walk with Him every day, because it is through our daily discipline of connecting with God and being in His presence and soaking up His Word and soaking up the wisdom of God that people begin to see that there's something different, distinguishing and distinct about us. Literally, they could even say, I don't know how to describe it or articulate, but there's something different about you. And maybe they even go as far as fair to say, you have God in your life. Or, or you have some kind of supernatural insight that I don't have. And that's why God calls us to be his disciples. So that like Joseph, he can build so much into our life that when we are out there then in, in with other people, other people can see the difference that the reality of God is making in our life. Just like it did with Joseph. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, again, because God has enabled you to know this, There's no one as wise and discerning as you are. You will oversee my household and all my people will submit to your commands. Only I, the king, will be greater than you. Now think about this. One of the reasons why liberals reject a story like this is because they say, that's just not realistic. there's, There's no way in a kingdom like Egypt that this nobody, basically, is going to be elevated to being that powerful overnight. That just isn't going to happen. Well, if they would just study the history of Egypt, they would find that the Egyptians did that quite often. Especially in this, and again, I don't, I don't want to get too much into history. I, I want to get into the Bible. But at this time in Egyptian history, the Hyksos were the ones that were sort of Leading Egypt, uh, they were the they were out of that uh, people group that the pharaohs came, and and so they were actually very open. Once once they recognized someone's ability, they had no trouble elevating them to a place of prominence. If they if they saw a gift in you, if they saw a talent or an ability in you that could help other people they would they would give you that that position which i got to say that's that's pretty commendable because there there are churches and even christians and and christian ministries that don't operate that way you know they try to suppress people and 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 keep people down and yet the bible teaches us that you know, if we've got something that that will profit and benefit others, we, we should allow that to be used so that the whole body can benefit. And that was their attitude back then. Yeah, you, you got something that will help us. Go go after it. Go to it. Wouldn't it be great to work for businesses and corporations and places like that? It's like, if they recognize your gifts and the things that you could bring to the table, they just let you go and not bother you so much and, and, and tie your hands and all that kind of stuff. Again, good leadership principles. Now, not everybody does that, obviously. But at this time in Egyptian history, that was absolutely possible for a nobody to be raised to a position of great prominence in Egypt. So, verse 41. See here, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I place you in authority over all the land of Egypt. And then he basically, you know, gives him the symbols of, of authority and all of that. And then we find out in verse 44 that Pharaoh gives Joseph a new name, Zaphanath paneah which means God speaks and God lives. See, through Joseph, God was revealing himself to Pharaoh in Egypt. It's, it should be an encouragement to us that God can use us to reach into other people's lives if we'll just if we'll just be faithful to God and follow him. And then the Bible says that Pharaoh gave him a wife. And Joseph then took charge of all the land. And then it says in verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he began serving Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to give us that time marker from the time he was 17. Now, 13 years later, he's 30 years old. By the way, one of the things I said several weeks ago is if you study the life of Joseph, you will find that he is sort of a type of Christ, meaning that there there are, are things in Joseph's life that is very similar to the things that Jesus experienced and one of the things that interested me here was that notice that Joseph is given a Gentile wife. And that predominantly in the church age, Jesus is given a Gentile bride. It's Very similar there. Joseph then goes on and begins to fulfill his duties. He reserves the food throughout the seven years of plenty. And then the Bible tells us in verse 50... That two sons were born to Joseph during this time before the famine came. And Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, verse 51, saying, Certainly God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's house. I want to stop there for a moment because these names that Joseph gives to his two sons are very significant. When he says, God made me forget it, literally doesn't mean physically, because none of us can physically forget things. When people hurt us, we can't physically forget it, okay? We just can't erase our minds and pretend like it never happened. That's not what this word means. What it means is, God enabled me not to dwell on it and be able to move on. And that's what God wants to do in all of our lives. He doesn't want us. We can't physically forget the things that people do to us, but we certainly don't have to dwell on it. And we certainly don't have to drown in it and just allow it to define the rest of our lives. We can move on from it. And God will enable us to do it if we'll let God. And he recognized that by naming his first son Manasseh. I hope tonight that whatever hurt and pain you've been through, that you will recognize once again that God can enable you not to dwell and focus on it and move on and not be a victim for the rest of your life. Verse 52, Then he named the second child Ephraim, saying, Certainly God has made me fruitful, notice, in the land of my suffering. The principle there is that I don't need to be in a perfect environment to be fruitful. Joseph is recognizing God is so awesome and so great and so beyond, exceeds whatever we can imagine, that even when you and I are are experiencing adversity and affliction, we can still be fruitful. And you think about it in Joseph's life. Because he trusted God and was faithful to God, every time he was given something, people around him just saw how reliable, dependable, and trustworthy he was, and they just basically gave him carte blanche. I mean, go all the way back to even his father. As young as he was, his father, I think, trusted him more than he trusted his older brothers. And so his father entrusted him with a lot as a young man. And then later on, he gets to Egypt after being sold as a slave, and what's Potiphar do? Immediately he recognizes that this young man is trustworthy, reliable, so I'm going to give you my whole entire household to manage. And then when he's thrown into prison, what's the warden of the prison do? He recognizes, Joseph is reliable, dependable. I'm going to give you charge of all the prisoners in in the prison. And then Pharaoh, same thing. Pharaoh recognizes, this young man is trustworthy, reliable, and dependable. I'm going to put the welfare of my entire kingdom... In his hands. So Joseph is saying, you know, you and I don't have to be in the perfect place or the perfect position to be fruitful. We can be very fruitful even when we're facing adversity and affliction if we'll just keep trusting God and keep being faithful and looking to him. So the Bible says in verse 53, the seven years of abundance came to an end. And then the seven years of famine came, just as Joseph predicted. And the Bible says there was famine not only in the land of Egypt, but in all the other lands. But throughout the land of Egypt, there was food. Because God had revealed himself, and through Joseph, they had a plan to prepare for the seven years that were coming. And Pharaoh, I love this, in verse 55. When all of the land of Egypt experienced the famine, the people cried out to Pharaoh for food. And notice what Pharaoh said to all the people. Go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you to do. That's who you need to go to. I don't have the answer. Joseph has the answer. And again, we sort of come full circle in this passage. Where earlier on, Pharaoh has this dream, calls for all the wise men of Egypt. They haven't a clue as to what the dream means. But who does he call upon? Who does he summon? joseph joseph had the answers joseph could solve problems joseph could manage situations because joseph walked with god and that's what god wants to see in our lives that we will walk with god so that others know who to call on and that they will call upon us and they will know who to call to to ask to pray for them and when they're going through rough times they might call upon us and say can we meet Because they see some difference. They see the reality of God in our life and how God has helped us navigate some difficult, troubling times and adversity and affliction in our lives. And when the tough times come in their life, hopefully they'll call upon us too. And they'll come to us, just as Pharaoh said for the nation of Egypt to go to Joseph. And while the famine was over all the earth, Joseph opened the storehouses sold grain to the Egyptians and the famine was severe throughout the land of Egypt. People from every country came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe, literally strong. In fact, the Hebrew is a very interesting, it means to squeeze. The, the famine was squeezing people throughout the whole earth. You and I can understand it. We've been at time, in times in our life and seasons where we feel like we're being squeezed. The way we survive those squeezing times is by letting God build that internal strength up in our lives and that internal spiritual stamina so that when we are squeezed, we don't crack and break and fall apart and melt down. But we're able to confidently and with calm and composure and faith in God survive and even thrive. And folks, what a timely message because in this world that is broken and that is falling apart and that is disintegrating right in front of our eyes, that's the kind of people God wants to raise up today as well. A people that other people around this world can see that when everything is hopeless in their lives and everything seems to be falling apart and the world seems to be going to pot, how can you navigate it? Well, let me share in closing, I think, how we can do this. Turn with me to the book of Psalms, to Psalm 18, and I'll close with this passage of Scripture. One that I think really describes Joseph, and one that described the psalmist, and one that hopefully will describe our lives as well. Psalm 18, I want to begin reading in verse 28 through verse 33. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. In fact, it's one that I share with people every once in a while to encourage them. Here's what the psalmist says in Psalm 18, beginning in verse 28. Indeed, God, you are my lamp, Lord. My God illuminates the darkness around me. Indeed, with your help, I can charge against an army. By my God's power, I can jump over a wall. The one true God acts in a faithful manner. The Lord's promise is reliable. He is a shield to all who take shelter in Him. Indeed, who is God besides the Lord? Who is a protector besides our God? The one true God gives me strength. He removes the obstacles in my way. He gives me the agility of a deer. And don't miss this last phrase. He enables me to negotiate the rugged terrain. That's what he did in Joseph's life. That's what he wants to do in our lives. He doesn't tell us, I'm going to make the terrain easy. No. He says, I'm going to build into your life such a strength, such a stamina, that you'll be able to navigate even the rugged terrain. Let's pray. God, thank you for this series on the life of Joseph. May it be an encouragement to our lives. May we realize through Joseph, God, that we can be just like him if we will just trust you and be faithful to you, even as we wait upon you to fulfill your promises. God, take these passages of Scripture, burn them into our minds and hearts, and help us, God, to recall them as we face each day especially, Lord, as we live in such challenging times, especially for Christians. God, help us to distinguish ourselves, not for ourselves, but for you, so that we can point people to the only hope that this world has, to the only one true God there is. And God, we pray for a great revival to take place in our country and in this world before Jesus comes. May a great harvest of souls come into the kingdom and may followers of Jesus Christ wake up out of their spiritual slumber and sleep and truly become the committed Christians and followers of God that you call us to be. Help us, Lord, to be that light in the darkness. And help us as the Oasis Church to be that as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here tonight. Hope to see you Sunday.